Mandatory minicamp is officially in the books at the VMAC. What went down on day three at Veterans Minicamp? Dallas Cooper and I will be diving in to our final takeaways on our Thursday installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined on our Thursday night episode by my co-host, Dallas Cooper, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Alaska or you're overseas listening in Norway. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks wrapped up mandatory minicamp today. We're going to be dishing out some final takeaways coming out of Wednesday and Thursday's practices And then we're going to get to your mailbag questions and continue our second year leap series going to the defensive side of the football with a young pass rusher that looks like he could have a breakout season on tap. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NFL. And when you enter promo code locked on NFL, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks unofficially ended their offseason program today. There will be a few passing OTAs coming up, mostly for the young guys. But with mandatory minicamp wrapping up day three today, mostly a walkthrough at the VMAC, the veterans are all going to be flying back home to wherever they live during the offseason. They're going to continue their training during this moratorium coming up. So really, this is the end of the offseason program for most of the players on Seattle's roster, the young guys are going to continue getting reps. And that being said, there was still plenty to unfold, plenty to take away from today's events at the VMAC. And Dallas, we've talked about him a lot during the offseason program, but Pete Carroll today was raving about Mike Jackson, the veteran corner. And we've talked about it a lot on this show. He kind of became that forgotten guy when Devin Witherspoon was picked with the number five overall selection. And you should expect a player like Jackson was a late round pick and bounced around with a bunch of teams to have an enormous chip on his shoulder. And he's not one of those guys that, oh, they just picked somebody. My job is lost. No, he's come back with a vengeance after starting every game last year saying, I'm not going to just give up this job. You're going to have to come take it from me. Tariq Woolen being out has helped him get more reps. Obviously, Devin Witherspoon's playing in the slot these last couple days, but getting the MVP honors for the offseason program for Pete Kerr, who said he was dominant during this offseason program. It's really creating a fascinating situation in that cornerback group, and it really tells you just how much talent and depth that they have there in the secondary. Yes, Jackson played incredible, especially going on to the second half of last season. And Jackson's development is going to be huge, especially Corbin, as you alluded to, putting Witherspoon in the slot has the ability to unlock so much for the Seahawks defense. They can lean more into man coverage. You can do a lot more matchup things and really hone in on a specific corner, matching up with a specific receiver. Or simply, one of my most exciting things during minicamp has been Corbin waiting for you to tweet about Mike Jackson, a video coming out about Mike Jackson. And then you always have been saying he's not going to give up this spot without a fight. 
and you were 100% right. He's not he's not going to give this up just because Seattle drafted a cornerback at number 5. He's not pouting, he's not going to sulk and put his head down. He's out there proving that hey, just because you drafted a guy at number 5, I'm still here and I can still play. And honestly, the development of that cornerback room is going to be huge if Jackson develops right. Witherspoon continues to develop from a number 5 overall and then you have Woolen the potential of that defensive back room, especially being that they're all so young, is so great for the Seahawks. I think that's what a lot of fans forget because they, you know, they think about Jackson being a journeyman. It's like he's only in his mid twenties. It's not like he's an old corner by any means, and he hasn't played in a ton of games, so he's got a lot of room to grow. And I do wonder if early on this season, and I'm sure we'll have more opportunities to talk about this as we go, but. I'm wondering if early on in the season, if Seattle's going to do more moving with their corners than we have ever seen Pete Carroll do with his defense, because Devin Witherspoon affords that to you. Because if you watch Illinois tape, he was just as effective playing in the slot as what he was on the outside. And there's some things he can do that most boundary corners can't. He's a really good blitzer. We know he'll come up and stick people in the run game. And so I don't think that's ultimately what they want to do with him in the long run. But they're going to be able to do a lot more mixing and matching, as you mentioned. He's been a ball hawk. Mike Jackson has been this entire offseason program. Witherspoon's been getting his hands on the football some, and so there's a lot of reasons to be excited about that group. Speaking of Witherspoon, we know this time of year that there's a lot of overreacting that goes to a handful of clips, and I'm guilty of this. All of us are guilty of this. We see a clip come out of OTAs or out of minicamp, and we're like, wow, this player looks incredible, or this rookie is a bust, and you just see one play, so, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba beating Devin Witherspoon in practice for a touchdown in Wednesday's practice. It came out today. There were, there were clips of this play, and it was Witherspoon in the slot against Smith and Jigba, and at least based on that one play, uh, there's plenty of fans that are saying, Witherspoon's a bust, number five overall pick, the better players, number 20. What we have to remind our listeners is that this was one play from the offseason program and everybody's going to get beat. DK Metcalf got beat by Tariq Woolen a bunch last year and vice versa. So <laughs> there's a lot of plays in the practice field. You're not going to win all of those snaps. And certainly Witherspoon's not going to Smith and Jigba's not going to. And I think what you're just seeing there is a case and example, a really tough play for Witherspoon and Smith and Jigba showing off his ability to run routes and better deep ball threat, maybe than people advertise running that wheel route from the slot. And as you said, the wheel route from the slot, Witherspoon is expected to guard that. And at the end of the day, a slot wheel is one of the toughest routes to guard. And then it's just a very difficult thing for Witherspoon to have to do. There's so much space on the field that you're going to have to guard. The offense calls a rub route. If you're an offensive coordinator, you call it a rub route. If you're a defensive coordinator, you call it a pick route. <laughs> and, and what they do, what they did is they forced Witherspoon to have to either go under or go over. That's an extremely tough play. And again, fans, let's put this into perspective. As a cornerback, he really can't be physical, especially during minicamp. He's not allowed to put his hands on the receiver and fully press. He's not allowed to do a lot of things. This is a very difficult play to guard. And again, it's minicamp. The offense designed a great play, and it's a tough play to guard, especially when you're stuck in man coverage on the slot. And once again, Jackson Smith and the Jigba is a great receiver. So at the end of the day, does this prove that Witherspoon is a bust or anything? Absolutely not. 
But if anything, that should just encourage you about Jackson Smith and the Jigba and his ability to separate D. I like what one of our listeners here is saying. Tex just said, just saw this clip. Iron sharpens iron. Can't wait for this this year. And that is a perfect way to put it. You've got two first-round picks, really talented players. You are hoping Smith and Jigba win some of those battles. And you're hoping that Witherspoon loses. Or he's going. Now, you don't want him to lose. You're hoping he learns from losing those battles, what I meant to say. So you're looking at this play. Fans are always going to overreact. And again, we're guilty of it at times too, because you just get excited for football this time of year. Like, wow, Smith and Jigba won that one. But wheel routes from the slot are really difficult. One last thing real quick. I always like to give the undrafted guys some love when they earn it or when the coaches bring them up. And two players, one in particular that jumped out to me when I was out there watching a few of their sessions earlier in rookie minicamp, Jonathan Sutherland from Penn State, he wore number zero last year, but he wore 26 earlier in his career. He looks like Ryan Neal, similar build to Ryan Neal. He's been getting snapped for the first team. He can play up in the box some, move him around a little bit. So that is a guy now that really is intriguing, getting those reps. Clearly, the coaching staff has been intrigued by him. And I know from your standpoint, the receiver that I expected us to talk about was going to be Matt Landers or C.J. Johnson. But Landers has been banged up a little bit. Johnson's hurt. Instead, it's been Jake Bobo that has been the highlight of the offseason program for the undrafted players. A lot of fans were really excited when the Seahawks signed him. And it was very interesting when you're looking at his player profile, even watching his tape, it's very obvious that speed, deep speed specifically, isn't his game. Now, if you're talking about a guy that is going to get in and out of breaks, he's going to sit in the zone and he knows how to move the chains and he catches everything that is thrown near him. Now that's Jake Bobo's game. And at the end of the day, if you got a guy who's going to catch everything thrown near him, you can't ask for much more than that. And he's showing out even without the deep speed that some of these other receivers have on the roster, he's out there outperforming. And that's a great thing to have, especially when the athleticism isn't there. He's winning in other ways. And when you're talking about Sutherland, as you said, kind of reminds people of Ryan Neal. I think this kind of alludes to the fact that the Seahawks in the offseason, linebacker was one of the positions they kind of didn't really put as much focus on. They signed back Bobby Wagner. Jordan Brooks is recovering from your injury. Devin Bush coming off of an in- or former injury, excuse me, as well. I would expect maybe we might see more dime this year than even nickel. Maybe you only use one linebacker out there and you're trusting these safeties to be out there in linebacker roles. I'm really interested to see if that's what the Seahawks are looking to do. Yeah, I think that's where they would fit Southern Lynn. And as for Bobo, you said he doesn't have deep speed. He just doesn't have speed in general. He ran a 4.99 40-yard dash. So I'll admit it. I discounted him. I don't know if he makes this football team, but – He's got such savvy when it comes to understanding what defenses are doing, knowing where the soft spots are, getting open, moving the chains. He is that prototypical possession receiver. And if he can play some special teams for you, I and mean, heck, maybe add some weight to him, he can be a, a move tight end down the road. So there is some intrigue there. So just a couple undrafted guys coming out of this mini camp that drew some rave reviews today from Pete Carroll. And if you've watched him on tape, 
You can see these guys are going out and they're making plays, and they're among the handful of free agents, the undrafted guys that maybe have a chance to make this football team. Up next, we're going to tackle your mailbag questions here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Putting it simply, Bird Dogs make you look and feel good. You won't want to take them off. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. And Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lulamon, but fit way better. Trust me. Unlike regular shorts, Bird Dogs aren't made of a stiff, restricting cotton, keeping you comfortable year-round. Take my word for it. Whether I'm heading to Baltimore in Week 9 to cover a tough road game or I'm chilling at home getting ready for a podcast, I'm always sporting Bird Dog shorts and joggers because they're extremely comfortable, don't restrict movement while keeping the slim look, and the sweat-wicking fabric keeps me cool and dry. All day long, no matter the elements, I can't recommend Bird Dogs enough. You'll want to wear them all day, every day. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedInNFL and enter promo code LockedInNFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedInNFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, you're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For our everydayers, make sure to tune into Blue Friday tomorrow. Nick Lee and I will be playing over under looking at projections for this year's rookie class. There are 10 draft picks, maybe one or two undrafted players sprinkled in there as well. Going to be a fun show. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our mailbag questions here. Dallas, I'm going to let you get the honors here first. This question Coming off of Twitter from Ethan Ludlum, assuming Tariq Woolen is back and playing well by mid-August, do you think the Seahawks would be open to moving Trey Brown or Mike Jackson for the right price? I'd be more than happy to have both of them on the roster, but could they package with picks for a pass rusher such as Daniil Hunter? And again, this is a very interesting one because all these players have been playing really well, especially going into camp, right? But again, Daniil Hunter... If we're going about specifically just pass rushers, then yes, I agree with you. I think there is a way that Seattle would be looking to trade these guys for the right price. But at the end of the day, I think John Schneider is will, willing to trade a lot of guys on the roster for the right price. And especially those guys, if you're fighting for a third cornerback spot versus the potential of getting an elite pass rusher, you take that elite pass rusher no matter what. And I think that's a very good trade proposition. I would be very interested in a guy in Indianapolis that has kind of been a little quiet recently, a guy by the name of DeForest Buckner. The Seahawks have a number of edges. There's a lot of edges on this roster. You get a premier interior threat next to Draymond Jones, and I think this could really be something on the defensive line. Yeah, that's a fascinating idea because I think the Colts, if you look at their roster, one of the bigger weaknesses they might have is the cornerback position. And they're not going to be playing the Seahawks this year either unless it's in the Super Bowl, which that would be a stunning matchup with the state of where the Colts are at especially. But, yeah, I could see the Colts potentially, if that was a move they wanted to make, I don't know if they're willing to move Buckner. But I think the big issue, the big sticking point here is going to be money for the Seahawks no matter what when we're looking at these kind of trades. Next question from Garrett on YouTube. If Devin Witherspoon – Plays in the nickel as a rookie. Would you consider that a letdown for a top five draft pick? That seems like a really expensive draft choice for a slot guy. So I'm just going to say this right now. I don't think that that's where he would be the entire season, even if he opens the year playing in the slot. We expect that Tariq Woolen is going to be back for the start of training camp, healthy from that minor knee surgery that he just underwent. 
And then Mike Jackson's a really solid player, but I can't see the Seahawks keeping him on the outside full time and having Devin Witherspoon just come in on nickel. They're going to want him on the field every single snap. Now, if they're playing nickel every single player dime, then Devin Witherspoon and Mike Jackson might both be out there. We don't know that at this point, but I would be stunned if they end up doing that. If he did play in the slides entire rookie year, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a letdown because he can do a lot of different things from the slot. As we talked about earlier, it gives him some defensive flexibility, but it would be a little disappointing because I do think that he has the ability early in his career to be a shutdown caliber corner on the outside. And I think that's where he belongs. As Pete Carroll said today, they had him in the slot in part because Kobe Bryant's been banged up. I think when they get everybody healthy, Devin Witherspoon is going to be playing mostly on the outside for this Seahawks defense. Next question for Dallas, little Billy on YouTube. Will Kenny McIntosh have more receiving yards than rushing yards this year or vice versa? I actually think that he will have more receiving yards than rushing yards this year. And that's not even me saying that as in a bad thing. I think just because of the opportunities with Walker is going to be getting touches, you're going to have Charbonnet getting touches. Hey, DJ Dallas is still on the roster vying for touches as well. McIntosh is going to have to find a way to get onto the field first and foremost. And to me, the quickest way for him to get onto the field is to win the third down back. And the way he wins that is by his really good receiving threat. What he needs to improve is his pass blocking in, it in order to stay on the field and for coaches to trust him on third downs. But I think that is possible, that he's going to have more receiving guards than rushing guards. He's probably going to be used a lot in the screen game. And that is something that Seahawks have been talking about as it's been a big improvement this offseason is the screen game. And I think all Seahawks fans have known the screen game hasn't exactly been great in Seattle for – almost as long as I can remember. Yeah, it was bad when Mike Holmgren was coach. It's been, it's really been bad for the entire century. They have not been able to run screens. So if they're able to do that and McIntosh becomes the guy, then he has a good chance to get more receiving yards than rushing yards. Jackie D10, 1517 tweets, will there be too many options for Geno Smith on offense to keep everyone happy? I know that this is a topic that comes up when you're looking at teams that have a ton of star power, but... I can't see this football team. I can't see DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. Those guys, for being star receivers, they're pretty selfless most of the time. And and at least in Metcalf's case, he loves to get after it as a blocker. So if the football's not coming to him, he's going to find other ways to impact the game. I think Smith and Jigba, he's played at Ohio State. He knows what it's like to have a bunch of other really good receivers around him. D. Eskridge, he's just hoping to get a few balls in his hands this year. Like He just has not had a lot of opportunities the tight ends, they're going to get after it in the run game too, blocking. So I don't see this being an issue. It's a good problem to have, but I just don't think that the players they have here, and and Geno Smith does such a good job of distributing the ball to all his players too. So I, I don't think that this is anything for Seahawks fans to worry about. You might not get the fantasy numbers you're wanting if you got some of these guys on your fantasy team, but uh, I think from a real-life standpoint, there aren't going to be any issues. Everybody's going to be happy with the way the ball is allocated to all these skilled players. Next question for Dallas coming from Tyler Matthews on YouTube. Out of Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who do you think has the higher ceiling and who is the better player right now as a pro? The higher ceiling to me, without a doubt, is Devon Witherspoon. And this is no shot at Jackson Smith and Jigba. But to me, what Jackson Smith and Jigba comes into the NFL and what if he develops really well and in 10 years down the line, we're talking about him as a great wide receiver. 
what he what the skill set he's going to have 10 years down the line is the same skill set he's going to come in with into the NFL. It's not really going to change. He's going to thrive off of the same things he thrived off in college. However, for Witherspoon, Witherspoon was an elite corner that was primarily used in man coverage. However, that potential, if he can prove what he did at Illinois, matching up with receivers, moving around, as Corbin alluded to, following number ones across the field, which the Seahawks haven't done, that is going to be something that really can unlock a lot in the Seahawks' pass defense. And if Devon Witherspoon is only a nickel per se, this could be something where in base defense – He's a left, or excuse me, he's on one of the sides opposite, or on the side opposite of Woolen. And then in nickel, he transitions to the slot. He doesn't always just have to be a nickel. So I think that's why the potential with Witherspoon is so great. Next question for me, and this one is coming from setting the edge. Are Pete and John stockpiling running backs and pass rushers to have a true rotation of players in those positions in an effort to prevent any one player having career numbers and becoming a high-dollar, costly playmaker to pay? This was a question, I'll admit, I got excited about the possibility of answering this because it did make me think a little bit. Because I wonder, especially the running back position, with the way teams are already not paying guys. We just saw Dalvin Cook get released today, two years into his extension, just 27 years old. Teams are just hesitant to pay that kind of money to running back, especially on second contracts. And so Seattle might be looking at this saying, hey, if we have Ken Walker third and Zach Charbonnet, both these guys are star caliber running backs, but we can hold them back a little bit so that they're not going to be too expensive if we want to re-sign them. I don't think that's exactly what they're trying to do. I think Seattle's looking at their past five years and saying, we need two really darn good running backs minimum because of the attrition at this position. And at the other spots, Tyler Lockett's not getting any younger. So it made sense to go out and get a player like Jackson Smith and Jigba, especially because D. Eskridge has been really disappointing the first two years. Now, everything about Eskridge right now sounds really good. And it looks like maybe we'll get a breakout year from him. You put him with the other three receivers they've got, and he's playing to his capabilities. Good luck to defensive coordinators. But I don't think this is about keeping costs down. We've seen him pay Lockett and Metcalf big bucks. We've seen him pay running backs in the past, but you've got to have multiple good ones at that position given the injury rate and the attrition. Real quick, Dallas, one last question for both of us to answer here. And this is off the heels of the news the other day. Michael W. on YouTube where do the 90s retro uniforms rank in your all-time Seahawks uniforms? Do you think they made the right choice for their throwbacks? They're going to be wearing those 90s-style blue and silver uniforms, Dallas. Where does that rank on your all-time Seahawks list? Now, specifically the blue and silver throwback uniforms. Those ones, I'd have to say, rank number two on my list. And the only reason that those rank number two is because I love – the 90s throwback white jerseys. Those are my thing. I love the white jersey. It just looks too clean. But I love the blue jersey as well, and that's probably my second favorite. I'm, I love throwback jerseys. You love the jerseys, even though they didn't win a lot of games. And maybe I'm putting too much stock in that, but I, I just remember growing up and the Seahawks just couldn't get to the playoffs until 1999 with those uniforms. But I actually would have liked to see the 80s throwbacks that had a little different piping on them, and especially early 80s when they still had the gray face mask. I know that's not what fans want to see, but there was more success during those years for the Seahawks. So I, I would say the 90s throwbacks are just behind those. And then I think that the new uniforms, 
Personally, Action Green, I know a lot of people don't like him, but that is my personal favorite. I love him. My least favorite jersey ever, this is going to be ironic, but the green ones they wore one time in 2009, that was an atrocious green jersey. I like I the have to agree with you. current model, but uh, the 90s ones would, would be higher up on the list along with the 80s with slight moderations, but they're generally the same uniform. All right, let's shift gears to our second year leap series. Now, Rob Rang and I kicked this off about a week and a half ago, Dallas, and we looked at the two tackles, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Now we're going to shift to the other side of the trenches. And this is a player that it's fitting we're talking about him today because I talked about him a great deal yesterday and I felt like there was more I wanted to say. So it's a perfect time to dive into Boye Mafe, who was selected in the second round out of Minnesota last season. And he had such a strange rookie year. Not that it wasn't productive, but we were going into the early stages of training camp and Pete Carroll was saying, this guy is going to be a situational pass rusher. That's where we think he's going to have the best chance to be able to contribute early on. And it made sense because you watch the tape in Minnesota, his run defense at times was very hit and miss. It looked like that was the area of his game that he was going to struggle the most to adjust to the NFL. And he had seven sacks as a senior. So you saw the pass rushing ability. You saw it in the senior bowl. And yet, you look at the way things played out on the field, you look at the stats, and it was the exact opposite. He ended up being the best edge-setting guy that they had at outside linebacker on the entire roster, maybe tied with Uchenna Nuosu, but he was one of the few guys in that front line that actually held up well against the run last year. What a reversal from expectations to reality. Mafe, as you said, strange rookie season, or let me rephrase that unexpected rookie season in terms of his strengths and weaknesses his strengths in order to develop and get more playing time and become more of an impactful player mafe has to develop a pass rush plan specifically his counter moves he likes to go off of the speed rush and the problem is when the speed rush doesn't work he relies on just pure hand fighting and trying to bull rush that's not working really well. And it showed that it didn't really work well in his rookie year. Going into this offseason, I'm really excited to see if he's going to be a lot better at turning the corner specifically. Mafe is extremely explosive, but as an athlete, he reminds me a little bit of Derek Hall in terms of he's very straight with his speed. Bending the corner isn't exactly his strength, I, at least from what I've seen. I don't think it's his strength. But man, as you said, holding up against the run and becoming one of the best edge setter or tied with Nwosu, what a rookie year. You're not expecting that out of a rookie edge rusher being able to hold up against the run. And I thought that was very evident, especially in the playoff game against San Francisco. Mafia was out there and you they were not able to attack at him, specifically just trying to game plan at him. So that's going to be the biggest development to me is, is Mafia going to be able to be a factor rushing the passer? Yeah, and it's so ironic that that's what we're talking about because if you go back and look at the episodes that we recorded last year when we were talking about Boye Mafe going into his rookie season, again, it was talking about the development of his counter moves that he showed off at the Senior Bowl. It was the explosiveness, the pass rushing production that gradually improved every year at Minnesota. And just what the coaching staff was saying, it sounded like our expectation is that's really where he's going to flash. And he had three sacks. It's not like he was completely non-existent and he had 10 pressures. That's not very much, but the thing that does concern me, and I'll put the stats back up for those that are watching on YouTube, but 
6.3% according to Pro Football Focus. That was his pass rush win rate. Out of 129 edge rushers, that ranked 113th. That is not going to get the job done. That is the lack of efficiency that if you have that two years in a row, you start to question, is this guy going to ever develop into a consistent pass rusher? I do think that there is a caveat to all of these numbers, though. I felt like the Seahawks gave him very limited opportunities to really go after the quarterback, and he was so darn good against the run. And, and that's the thing. Teams knew they could run the football in the Seahawks, so they were going to keep running the ball. And so when Boy Mafe was out there, a lot of times they were plugging him in just trying to stop the run game, and he held up really well. But there just weren't a lot of opportunities. There were so many games where he had less than 10 legitimate pass rushing chances. And so I think it's really hard. It's one of those things in any sport, but especially rushing the passer. I think it's difficult to develop that rhythm, especially when you're a rookie coming in the league and you're trying to get used to going against NFL tackles who are much tougher to get past. you got to have a more sophisticated pass rushing plan, unless you're somebody like Von Miller that just has – freakish athleticism and a couple counters that are upper tier, you know, hall of fame caliber counter moves. You got to be able to develop those path rushing plans. So I don't even know that it's the inability to dish counters. I've seen enough from boy Mafe. I just think it's trying to get that plan in place, how to attack tackles and then deploy those counters. He just didn't get a lot of opportunities last year to really show off what he could do and develop in game because it felt like most of the time he was out there, some of it just because the Seahawks couldn't stop the run. Teams were game planning to do that, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities. And I think it prevented him from being more consistent, getting more efficient, getting after the quarterback. I still think there's a lot of upside in that part of his game, but I'm also really intrigued to see what he looks like this year in year two when he was still a pretty raw player at 24 years old coming in last year. I'm really curious another year in the weight room what he's going to do against the run. And that's the big reason why I predicted yesterday that he's going to win the other starting job across from Ochenna Nuosu because you're going to have to have some guys out there that could stop the run game. And he was one of the few last year that actually did. I would agree with you on that. If you had to ask me out of the three initial competition or the three initial people that are in the competition to start opposite of Nuosu, I would have Mafia at number one. And as you said, simply being, do not let teams run the football, especially in early downs. Now, Daryl Taylor had the sub was a sub rusher last season. That's going to be interesting to see coming back this next season. But Mafe, I would love to see him get consistent playing time. And as you said, it's hard to develop a rhythm and really develop your counter moves going into specific offensive tackle. And when you're only getting 10 or less rushing snaps a game, it's extremely difficult you're not getting, excuse me again, but no rhythm. But what you need is just that pass rush plan. If he can develop that, you have a true threat off the edge opposite of Nwosu. Now look at your depth. You got Daryl Taylor sitting in the weight. You got Derek Hall also sitting in the weight. Let's not also forget Tyreek Smith as well. The true depth at this position at edge is insane for Seattle. And if Mafe truly develops into what they think he can be, man, it's going to be such an exciting season for the Seahawks. I want to go off of what something Mina Kime said on her show last week because she was saying there's a lot of really solid pass rushers, but you don't have that number one. You don't have that elite guy. And I don't know that Boy Mafe 
has the upside to be that player. I don't think he's got the bend. I don't think he's quite developed enough in terms of really being able to attack tackles where he's just going to explode and give you 15 sacks in a season. I don't ever see him being that kind of a guy, but if you can have him become another one of those really solid number twos, and maybe there's still that chance a guy like Derek Hall can become that number one guy. I feel like Hall's got a little bit more twitchiness to his game, a little bit more bend to his game. He might be a guy in a year or two that is able to break out and really become that number one that they're lacking right now. Cause they have a lot of really solid number two and number three rushers. And you've got to have guys like that to be able to get after quarterbacks and having a, a stable of players like that, you can really turn pressure up on a quarterback, but you got to have that one guy that's really your alpha and maybe new can still become that guy. But from Mafe's standpoint to me this year, can you become that really solid number two where you can stop the run, you can set the edge, but you show more consistency, you get more opportunities to develop that consistency getting after the quarterback. And so he is going to be one of the players that I'm most excited to watch when we get to real football in August when the pads come out. What does he look like in terms of technique and his pass rush plan? Even on the practice field, do you see improvements in that regard? Because if you do, then I could see him going out and getting you six, seven sacks. And if he's defending the run the way that he did last year, or even better than last year, then you have a really solid starting outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense to couple with Uchenna Nuosu and the other players that they have rotating at that position. So I think that it's a fascinating player to watch going into this year because he did come in somewhat unpolished. And yet, again, it was weird seeing that the run defense is what blossomed last year. And that makes me wonder, could we see a big leap from pass rushing standpoint with his athleticism and what we saw playing in the Big Ten, his ability to get after quarterbacks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks. We're on YouTube and other major podcast platforms. Make sure that you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow for Blue Friday, I'll be rejoined by Nick Lee, and the two of us will be playing a spirited game of over and under, looking at rookie projections, the draft picks, maybe a few undrafted guys as well. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your week. Go Hawks.